0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, Before we begin our discussion today, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer?
1: In nomine Patris et Filii et Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Iesus.
0: Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pranobis peccatoribus, nuc et in mortis nostre. Amen. So, uh, for today's podcast, we are going to be discussing... Um, some of the, uh, the recent trends in, uh, men and women, uh, who are either entering or have already entered, um, religious life or what's also known as consecrated life. And one of the <clears throat> reasons we thought it would be helpful to discuss this topic is that, um, you know, for many years, uh, the diocese, and, and this is common throughout the country, uh, has put out a um, poster listing all of the seminarians um, preparing for possible uh, ordination for the diocesan priesthood. But um, recently, uh, one of the Salesian sisters that's serving here uh, had the suggestion that, you know, we should do the same for those who are in formation for a religious order um, that the, you know, the diocesan seminarians shouldn't get all the attention. No, just kidding. So, but, um, but, (laughs) but we, we thought, we thought it would, you know, it would be nice to just go into um, just, you know, first of all, what, what is consecrated life and more importantly focusing on what can parents do at home to at least um help their children be open to this type of vocation obviously we know that it's it's god's doing in the end but um to at least help them be receptive to to this idea and so we there was a a a recent article um in uh on the uh Catholic website Crux. It's dated January 27th, 2024. Um it says survey finds most US orders didn't have a single member take perpetual vows in 2023. So it, you know, on on the face of it, it would seem to be that um consecrated life is is kind of on the decline, but um you know, I think I I think uh it you can't really um overgeneralize because there there are some orders that are seeing growth. Um you know and that's one of the the motivations to put this poster together is that we want to you know show everyone that um consecrated life is still alive and kicking. And um and There'll and young uh,
1: faces on that tower post. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and that um and in fact, uh you know we do have um we do have some young women uh from our diocese who have uh entered religious orders recently, uh it, you know all diff all different um ages and stages and you know charisms and things like that. They're very it's you know they all have their kind of unique story, but. Um, so, 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 you know, the, I, the idea is, you know, in, on, on this podcast to look at what, where, um, what was kind of the, uh, what were some of the factors that maybe these women had in their life that, it, um, in, influenced them in such a way that, uh, they were open to hearing this call.
1: Well, it was men and women too. The posters just right.
0: For women. Oh, yeah. No, no. The posters for men and women. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, I, I. It is. I just. I kind of. I. I guess I skewed it towards the the women because that's that's whos You're suggestion it was. You're going sexist.
1: on us, Veronica.
0: <laughs> <laughs> As we've talked about before, God
1: is sexist, so that's not a bad thing if you understand it properly. <laughs> there is a difference between the genders.
0: But, but, but they looked, but basically the, the article in Crux, um, you know, they, they were looking at a study by the National Religious Retirement Office. And um, one of the things that they found is that um, the average age of new religious professing perpetual, perpetual vows is 36 with half of the responding individuals being age 33 or younger. In terms of race, two-thirds are Caucasian, European-American, or white. But it says the most unanimous finding was that nearly all, or 99 percent, of those 101 men and women who were surveyed were raised by their biological parents during what the survey calls the most formative part of their childhood.
1: And other that statistics an that point. stood out to me there, Veronica, were uh, the 80 and 90 percentile uh, as they were growing up were involved in faith and prayer uh, life within their family uh, and their parish. Um, and so you combine all of that and you've got you've got the strength of family. On the foundation of marriage, one man and one woman, husband and wife, striving to be Christ for each other, um, raising the children that God has trusted to them. And, um, my wife and I are blessed to have one of our children, uh, who professed uh, a permanent vow, uh, and the, uh, I asked him what what stood out as part of your journey, uh, growing up. And they mentioned the, um, the reading the lives of the saints was, was a big part in addition to, uh, prayer, faith, attending mass, uh, more than uh, once a week, but not, not necessarily daily. Um, and, also, this living out the spiritual and corporal acts of mercy, um, as, as just part of the flow of family life, uh, as well as the naming the question of, you know, we as your parents don't know what your God given call is. We're here to share that journey with you as you discover what it is and will help you, um, but it's up to you to learn and deepen in your faith so you can discern what is God's breath in you. And you know, we, the one thing we know when we read the different lives of the saints is no two saints are the same. And so anyone who becomes saintly, they have a stunningly unique personality and uh grace. Um, and so this whole thing where parents impose themselves on well you have to run the family business or you're going to be uh a doctor or a lawyer or whatever the the pressure is um you have to go to college you have to do this or the other thing to be a real person uh that's not what god calls us to as parents god calls us to be stewards of the children he's entrusted us uh, with and help them know what is God's breath in them uh, and how do we help them discern what that is.
0: Yeah, well, Deacon Patrick, you mentioned the, the lives of the saints. And it one thing that is kind of um, amazing when you do read some of those um, biographies of the saints is, you know, even seven, 800 years ago, how many, uh, and I guess, again, it's the women that stand out to me, but who <laughs> it's not always the case, um, where, you know, their parents were dead set on having them marry s- somebody that ah, they had right. chosen. And, um, so they really, and these women who, you know, as you said, really f- felt, felt very deeply, and and firmly that God was calling them to a religious life of of one kind or another, you know, they had to, um, they had to, uh, Oh, it's not rebel, but they, they, they had to stay strong and in some cases, you know, put themselves in danger in order to follow through with what, with, uh, with that call. And, and um, you, you know, the, the, but yet, you know, s- several places in the gospel, I mean, Jesus tell, uh, tells us, you know, that that's, that is disordered, you know, um, you know, the one passage I'm thinking of, which of course I don't, I can't cite, but who, whoever doesn't hate, you know, mother and brother, um, it, it, you know, in a sense, whoever's more attached to their Kind of biological family um, than they are to Jesus Himself is is not go- really going to be able to fully um, respond to and like live out that vocational call. And so yeah, it is. I I think it is um, a good reminder for us. And I I you know we can we can <laughs> I know in my you know in my own life you know we can think of ourselves as being pretty. Um, uh, you know, laid back and, and, uh, open-minded, but we, we deep inside, I think, um, it's easy to have ideas about what we want our kids to do, you know, and, um, sometimes we can get really attached to those future plans and it's, it's hard to, to let go of them. So, um, yeah, I, I, among other things, it's a good opportunity to examine our conscience, I think, on, in this area and say, you know, am I really, um, Am I really detached from my own desires and wants and um sometimes fantasies you know <laughs> or or you know and 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 what what do I need to do to um be more be more open and humble i guess well know, not to, to give
2: what- not to give the male uh consecrated um, folk short shrift i mean I'm reminded of Saint Francis of assisi who Rebelled against his father and his father's plans for him, and uh, Saint Ignatius, yeah, and of Saint Lo- Thomas
0: Aquinas too, I believe, as as I recall, that his family hatched some plot. To- <laughs> I mean, imagine how different the world would be if he had never written. Um, yeah, but
1: without Tommy AC, <laughs> 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 Tommy AQ,
2: <laughs> Saint Ignatius of Loyola, um, you know, was called out of his life as a military man when he was healing up and it was the women religious who said you need to read the book, book of the lives of the saints and led him to the founding of the jesuit order
1: well and that that speaks to one of the qualities that is alluded to but not named uh in these statistics and that's one that we've talked about off and on uh here of manfulness and as we've talked about, and as Saint uh, Catherine of Siena points out, there's feminine manfulness and masculine manfulness. Um, but that that whole idea of uh, strength of faith and manfully living it out—we um, are called to that manfulness, and it's it's countercultural. And often the culture seeps into the church. Uh, and to, into families. And so you do end up with, uh, those who have a call and they feel it strongly. They have to be manful in order to say yes to it. And, uh, in today's society, to be able to make a permanent vow of anything, be it, uh, for religious life or, uh, for marriage, um, that's an, that's a manful act. Uh, and. uh that's an act of faith to be able to do that.
2: Uh, but Patrick, I mean, I've, I've, been, I have it on high, high authority from our culture that talk, that masculinity is toxic. <laughs> you seem be going against the culture.
1: <laughs> well, Jesus did did say, know them, meaning false shepherds, and then corollary, true shepherds, know them by their fruits. And uh, you Veronica, fruit. you had. Pardon
2: who you call a fruit.
1: <laughs> um, there's a uh, a beautiful concept from uh not saint yet. Uh probably a little less saint but but not not a big S saint. Uh venerable Fulton Sheen uh from his book uh The Priest is Not His Own. And I'll just read this because it's it's stunning in the light of the various spirits of the age that we live in. He uh, says priests and by extension religious and anyone who is answering their vocational life. Uh, priests whose ministry is not inspired by the Holy Spirit have a sterile priesthood. It is not continued through vocations. If they lack the spirit of Christ, so will they lack spiritual progeny. The priestly life enkindled by the Ines Alienus of the world cannot grow old with the comfort of young priests whose vocations it helped foster. But the priest on fire with the Holy Spirit will never be barren. His parish and his school will flower with vocations. Thus has every priest a measure of the fire that blazes in his soul. And what struck me about that is that's true not only at an individual level, but we look at the statistic uh, that stood out to me in this cliff of vocations for religious life uh, that um, was it 10 years from now we'll have half the religious that we have now, it'll go from 32,000 to 17,000. Yeah,
0: that's, yeah, that's what it said. It said um, a recent projection from the U S bishops conference that the total will drop 50% over the next decade from, yeah, 33,000 in 2023 to approximately 17,000 in 2033.
1: So there's lots of factors, but one of the things that has struck me is any of the articles that I've seen showing multiple uh people men or women professing permanent vows they're all in habits or they're all in uh cleric not cleric some may be in clerical garb depending on the, the uh, gender involved but um they're all in the their orders uh and I'm not I'm blanking on the word but uh Habits, habits. Uh, yes, vest, uh, dress, um, and that's an example of uh, w- know them by their fruits. And we're we're in decline here, but those orders that are in growth, let's look at those orders. Let's come to understand what are they doing cuz let's know them by their fruits and help those fruits spread
0: well um a- along the lines of um uh of that we you know another thing that we uh, an- another story that we have recently been focusing on um uh in the herald is uh this, the story of sister wilhelmina lancaster who Um, really it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing story because, well, for a variety of reasons, but, you know, first of all, um, her, you know, her ancestors were basically, um, uh, slaves who had been, had been freed when they, I, I think it was her great grandmother, um, uh, when she converted to Catholicism and, um, And so she was um, she was raised in a, um, you know, a largely segregated society. I mean, um, because she died in uh, 2019 and she was in her 90s. So, you know, she was raised during segregation, experienced a lot of, um, you know, discrimination, discrimination personally, but she uh she entered um in a a traditionally black order and um uh you know d- th- thrived thrived in that order but you know eventually discerned that um god was was calling her to um found a a new order that was um you know more traditional and so um they ended up in the diocese of um kansas city saint joseph in in missouri and um but yeah the, the uh it's the the um they're they're not completely cloistered uh they they are able to leave the um the monastery so it's a Benedictine. I should have clarified that at the beginning it's a it's a benedictine order and they are able to leave the monastery at times but um for the most part they they remain on the grounds and uh so, for um one of our recent vocation stories, uh we interviewed um a young woman f- from here in Colorado Springs who um, uh, entered that order recently as as a postulant and yes, I mean it it seems it seems pretty clear that the um the uh, for lack of a better word, the strong identity of of the order, you know, and uh, the, you know, very clear char- charism of, of what, what they are called to, you know, in terms of their community prayer life and everything like that, was was one of the things that um, drew drew her to it. Um, it's, it's not, you know, it it's not just a group of people kind of you know living together um they <laughs> not they, commune life <laughs>
1: might be communal but
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 so um so yeah it's it's just but but anyway uh, sister sorry to get back to sister wilhelmina um she went, she uh she died in in 2019 and in uh early 2023, when they went, be, because this monastery is relatively new, when when they um, originally buried her, it was um, in a, you know, a, a I guess you'd call it a regular grave. And then when they went to transfer the body to, I believe, a chapel they had recently built. I um, see a foot. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much that's what it was. They, they realized it was, she she was actually looked exactly the same as when they had put her in the ground. Uh, 4 years ago or so so um, um you know it's it's certainly a, a a great um sign that that this this form of life is something that's still relevant right and um that it's still God's will that it continue and um so yeah it's been it's been fascinating to keep up with the uh, the developments on that and you know the, the Bishop of the diocese of course very wisely is um, uh, reminding everyone that we can't jump to conclusions you know the Vatican has to come in and do their investigation and uh, put together their findings uh, and all this sort of thing but um, but yeah I mean uh, you know it's the uh, clearly, Clearly, uh, and and this this is an order that that is getting uh, new vocations from from around the country. Um, but but you know, kind of tied in with that whole idea too is um, another article that just just was published um, today actually about called raising Catholic kids. New R A
1: Z I N G.
0: <laughs> Hopefully not. Oh, okay. <laughs> New study suggests what successful parents have in common. Um, and again, you know, it goes to that idea of what what are the things that parents do at home that um, ke- first of all help their kids stay in the faith, and then again would possibly you know be open to uh, a, a religious vocation. And this um, this also cites a study. It's uh, done by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, also known as CARA, um, in conjunction with the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life. But kind of the um, kind of the nut graph of the whole thing is that, um, citing Dr. Gregory Popcheck, uh, who is a, a well-known Catholic counselor, he says families are effective in passing on the faith to the next generation to the degree that the children felt that the faith was a source of warmth in their homes and i'm not sure you know that any of us would have that would have been our our first um assumption you know um in terms of things that parents did you know i i i mean i i think most people would have thought it was I don't know, maybe praying a daily rosary or, you know, something like that. Not that that's not important, but it um, goes on to well, say yeah, among. We
1: prayed at bedtime and the comforters are there and
0: <laughs>
1: sniffly noses are getting wiped. and <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Well, it says among households that were successful in fostering lasting faith, children understood their parents to be open to hearing and talking about the children's doubts and struggles when it came to faith, an environment where kids didn't feel like they would be lectured or scolded, scolded for having questions or struggles or doubts. If a question arose that the parents didn't have the answer to, um, oh, gosh. And no, we have like all my, the answers. <laughs> and I and my article cuts out here. But I, I think basically, um, you know, what what – What it probably points to is that, you know, the parents were admitted if they didn't know the answer to something and, you know, were willing to go look it up or or research it um, rather than just kind of coming back with a boilerplate like, you know, do as I say kind of kind of response. So. um, So, yeah, it's a really uh, it's a really interesting article. I found it on Catholic News Agency, but it's also posted on the National Catholic Register um if anyone one wants to uh to check it out but um you know i, I mean again uh, you know it's another uh examination of conscience moment i think for parents it's you know if if my child kind of expresses uh you know uh, a, an uncertainty or a doubt about um some aspect of the faith do I fly off the handle or do I, (laughs) you know, calmly and (laughs) patiently address it, you know, and, and uh, according to this article, that makes a big, a big difference. Um, And then also it says he, he also um, goes on to say here that, uh, you know, schools and, and youth groups and things like that are, they're important, but they're, they're secondary to, um, what we're, we're, what we're doing at home. It says the church has long taught and emphasized that a parent's role in fostering the faith of their children is original and irreplaceable. So that could, you know, give us a perspective on even like if we're, um, discerning kind of, uh, how many commitments to make outside the home or, you know, what activities to um, sign up for, things like that. You know, are we, are we making sure that it isn't making it impossible to maybe, you know, pray together as a family and things like that. And so it's a good, good, I think, good perspective for us.
1: Um Well, and prayer really is the, I just, the phrase of, uh, bring warmth, that faith brings warmth to family life. Uh, and I think about the, just the warmth of, of prayer in my own individual life. And then when we pray as a family, that's magnified. Um, and so that, that, uh, that is a beautiful source. And then if you're living out the, the various, um, spiritual and corporal acts of mercy, and and so on and so forth, the things that we've talked about, uh, that whatever our children's vocations are, they're going to discern them, find them, and be manful and be able to say yes to them.
0: Well, uh, unfortunately, we're just about out of time for our discussion today. But uh, before we go, just want to remind everybody that you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and several other platforms. Uh, so feel free to check us out there. Uh, before we uh, go, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer?
2: Of course, I'm not on mute this time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Ave Maria, grazia plena, dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu iesus.
0: Sancta Maria Mater Dei, Ora Pranobis Peccatori Bus Nuc et Anora Mortis Nostrae. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos Podcast.